show features Tyler Fornes and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. Hello and welcome to another episode of Climbing the Pocket Mondays, where we turn your Monday purple. And along with turning your Monday purple, so is my face. So I hope everybody enjoys this beautiful mug today. My name is Tyler Fornes. I am your co-host here this evening. And with me, as always, is Deshaun Vaughn. Deshaun, how are you, my friend? Hey, man. I'm tired, bro. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. Uh, but we are here to talk some football right now. We got uh, uh, ener- some energy for this next hour. <laughs> yes, we do. And we are going to save a lot of the season preview stuff for next week, where, breaking news, we are going to have, from Purple Daily and Score North, Mr. Phil Mackey on to break down all that is Minnesota Vikings football. And it is going to be a really fun time next week. So make sure you tune in. But we're going to stop talking about next week right now because we have a lot to get to here this evening. Jeffrey, Anthony, love seeing you guys in the comments already. We are going to get to your uh, question, Jeffrey, on who is playing tight end week one here in a little bit because we're first going to start off by talking about Herb Smith Jr. and his meniscus injury. And for this, we're going to pull in our awesome producer, Dave, who's going to have a unique perspective on the meniscus itself. Dave, how are you? I am good. Uh, actually, I'm a little pissed off with the news around the world, but and the news about Irv Smith Jr. and another player on our team. But we'll get through that. Let's talk Irv Smith Jr. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why we brought Dave in here is, one, he's a very intelligent man. But, two, he tore his meniscus in 2015. So he has a little bit of insight. Deshaun is in nursing school right now, and he is currently – learning about all that is the human body. So being that these two have both experienced it and are in the medical field, we're going to be able to provide a different perspective than a lot of other shows and podcasts that you might be subscribed to. Dave, let's first start off by talking about what happens with the meniscus. Can you throw up the graphic of the different types of tears real quick? I and we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna pull this up and Dave's gonna kind of explain a little bit about what, about what these mean. So. There are multiple different tears. You have the the horizontal flap, the vertical longitudinal, the horizontal, the free edge fraying, the radial tear, the complex tear. Now, the bucket handle was the one that Adrian Peterson had that required the 12-week recovery time. That was very frustrating for Vikings fans in 2016. Just felt like after that week two injury, everything was just crumbling, and it ended up actually crumbling. But Dave, you ended up having the parabrake tear. Now, when you were initially seeing uh, doctors and specialists for this injury, yeah, take us through the process. What were they talking about? What were they talking about as far as short-term and long-term fixes, any effects afterwards? Like, What kind of information did you gather during your process? Okay, when I did mine, I did mine actually moving furniture, and I didn't realize I had hurt it until the next day when I woke up and my knee was swollen and sore. And it was sore for a few days, and I thought, oh, this is wrong. I need to go get it checked out. Went to the doc. Doc referred me to an orthopedist. Orthopedist was absolutely very good. They sent me for an MRI once the swelling was down. And on that MRI, you could see it clear as day. I had that parrot tear along the inside. Mm-hmm. Now, what the orthopedist said is treatment is based on the type of tear that you have, Right. 
certain tears, without a doubt, they there's no trimming involved. They have to be, they've got a special type of suture they use, and they've got to be basically sewn back together. Those are your long rehab um, mm-hmm. tears that are going to come. Mine could have been trimmed. Uh, that was an option to me. They had shot my knee up full of cortisone and some other stuff he had mixed in there. Got my knee feeling a lot better. Uh, my options were to have it trimmed, have it repaired, or to live with it as is and occasionally get the shot. When he was in there, he showed me on my MRI, I had arthritis in the knee, right? Okay. They, that comes with being in the military. It's one of those badges everybody that was in gets. I got arthritis. He said if he opens it up to go in there and do any repair, that arthritis would go crazy. And within five to 10 years, I'd need a knee replacement. I opted okay. to just leave it alone, get the shots. I got a couple shots. Um, further down the road, that was it. It doesn't bother me that much anymore unless I step funny and I can live with it. It all depends when it comes to Irv, what kind of tear it is. And we don't know. Um, that's going to take that uh, doctor that works for the Vikings to determine that an MRI, the whole works. Once we hear, then we can better go off of how long he's actually going to go out and what his line of treatment is. Deshaun, what do you think about all of that? So uh, I should start with what like the function of the meniscus is. So meniscus is like cartilage. So it's there to it's basically just support. So um, what a lot of people will say is that you don't know you have a meniscus until you hurt it. So it's like it's there. It's, it's it has a function that we don't really think about as cushion, as support. But when you know it's hurt. You know it's hurt. So, like, some people can't bend their legs. Some people can't support weight. Some people get the swelling. So, in Irv's case, like you said, if he chooses this trimming, if, if he chooses to do the trimming, there is a chance that maybe three, four years down the line, he could be suffering from severe side effects. So, in his case, Depending on how bad it is, because like you said, like a lot, like a uh, um, some of the tweets that were put out from the people trying to find out when he was injured, they couldn't find anything. So it could be it could be super minor. Who knows? And maybe a trim is really all it needs. And when we say trim, what we mean is that when you when there's a tear in there, instead of them repairing it, they take out the damaged part. So that part of the meniscus is completely removed out. So you just really you're just missing a part of your meniscus. It just doesn't hurt anymore after a yeah. while. Uh, as in this and, diagram right there. Right. Yep. And you so, can see you as you're looking at your screen, left side, the top is the, the damage, the bottom is it cut out, and on the right side, it's stitched up. So what that leads to is over time, less support, less cushion. So and then, and then as you get older, as you know, your body gets weaker, that's gonna lead to some issues. So I think Irv should take the six to eight months if that's if he's given the two options. I think that's what he should do. Uh, interesting enough, uh, Mike Zimmer earlier said that he was never told about a six to eight month recovery time in his press conference. He said every every time he's talking, it's, it's it's a team doctor doing the surgery too. I believe I believe they said it was a yes. team doctor that was doing the surgery, and I'm I would assume he spoke to Zimmer about some options and. 
apparently Zimmer said it was never mentioned to him about a six to eight month recovery. So maybe, so I'm hoping that maybe it's not that serious. Maybe those side effects won't be there, but like, we don't, we don't know. So we'll have to just wait until he gets the surgery and see how long he's out. Irv is a young player. He's, you know, he relies heavily on that run after the catch, you know, being able to change directions quickly. There's really, I mean, one season, it sucks, but no need to risk the rest of your career. If he gets that option for the six to eight month recovery time, we'll just have to bite the bullet. And I think he should think of himself first and his longevity. Well, it just sucks. You know, he was due such for a breakout season and we were all mm-hmm. excited about it. And the timing is typical Minnesota Vikings. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it is incredibly typical Minnesota Vikings. And I think one thing that I want to talk about here as far as the meniscus repair before we move on to how the Vikings as a personnel uh, move are going to deal with how they handle Irv Smith Jr. here moving forward. I I remember we talked pre-show, Dave, about if you do the trim, it accelerates everything. Mm -hmm. Now, here's my question for both you and Deshaun. Have you guys heard of, I know that they can regrow cartilage. Is there a procedure down the line for someone like Irv Smith Jr. if he does the trim? where he can regrow some of that cartilage and give him that extra support or even something that he could do in the off season. Cause I feel like w- when we're talking about the trim, that is something that can be considered and it, you can do the short trim fix now. And then off season, you take some time in like January, February, you regrow the cartilage takes like, I don't know, anywhere from like six weeks to six months, however that is. And you can salvage the season and really make sure long-term the man is set for the rest of his life. So I, I feel like Deshaun, being that you are in the medical field, and Dave, you have experienced this, and you already have arthritis in your knees. So I was wondering if you guys had heard anything about it. That's a possibility. I would love for it to be. I'd love for him to be able to squirt something in there and have it all fresh, brand new, baby <laughs> fresh. But that's Star Trek future stuff, as far as I'm, I know. <laughs> So yeah, I uh, usually they now I don't work in the sports medicine world, so I'm the sports medicine medicine world is way beyond its time. Like the things they can do mm-hmm. are absolutely insane. The progress they've made on ACL tears, making those less than a year recovery, absolutely insane. So it wouldn't surprise me if they had something that if a player chose to get a shave, that they can like cushion that blow for you know long term. Uh, but I think as of right now, they would go with the more traditional cortisone cushion thing so that he's not really feeling the pain. So what would happen is Irv Smith, if he was to get a shave, he could probably enjoy probably the next, I can even six to eight years of his career and play just fine. But after mm-hmm. it, and also cortisone has long-term, long-term effects. When you're on cortisone for a long time, it starts to mess with your body he would probably end up needing a, a knee replacement after he retired. So now I hope I hope there is something like that in the sports medicine world. But usually sports medicine kind of relies on that, like, you're good game day, but you kind of suffer afterwards. And if he were to play, I think that would be his case for a little bit. Eventually, he would be fine for a little bit. Down the road, he's going he's gonna to start to feel it. And we know how Sam Bradford's knees degenerated. Over mm-hmm. time. Yeah. It could be the same thing. It could accelerate that sort of process. I would think, just like the doc telling me it would accelerate my arthritis, which grinds the joints and it makes it painful just as, you know, because. 
Yeah. We saw what happened to Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley had the arthritis in his knees, and he just was never the same. Yeah, absolutely. And now that we have gotten the medical side of it, let's move on to what we are really experts in, in the football side of how this is going to affect the Minnesota Vikings. Now, let's uh, approach this to Sean. Like, uh, Irv Smith Jr. is going to be out all season because it otherwise it, you're just looking to deal with one to three games. That's very manageable. You're going to have to adjust a lot of things, but it's manageable. It's a very short time frame. So, Irv Smith Jr. is out for the season. That We have Tyler Conklin, who um, Raymond says it is Conklin time. Will he be ready to go week one? He very well could be. He was back on the practice field today in a limited capacity, which is, excuse me, a step forward. He was back on the practice field. So there's there's been some uh, chatter. Our friends at Score North have been talking about Zach Ertz as a possible trade candidate. We have cut down day. Everybody has to be down to 53 men on their roster by tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central. What is your first inclination of how to handle this? Are you looking at a a trade right away? Maybe a David Njoku? Uh, Maybe uh, call up Tampa Bay and see if you can get a Cameron because they're or an OJ Howard because they have three tight ends. It's just an abundance of riches down there in Tampa Bay with the skill position. How would you want to approach this if you're in Rick Spielman's shoes? So uh, in the group chat, man, Matt and uh, Matt and Miles got on me about this one. I think the Vikings' offense is going to be fine without Irv Smith. So I say that because if we're being honest, Irv Smith largely has been misused the last couple of seasons. They really haven't mm-hmm. used Irv Smith to the fullest of his potential, and the offense has been fine. So in my what I would do, I think Tyler Conklin out there and see if he can do what Irv Smith was doing previously. Because you're not losing anything from the offense. You're just not really gaining that thing that we thought was going to take them over the top. So the offense is still gonna be, they were like, I think they were like fourth or fifth in efficiency. They were like like top 12 and like points scored or something like that. You're still going to have a good offense. You're just kind of missing that piece that we thought would take it over the top. So I would go the first couple of games with just Conklin. And then I would probably on waiver wires, pick up someone who's a capable blocker. That would probably be my first move is to find someone who can block. So we can still run our, our offense from that 12 formation. And if it doesn't work, if we start to see those holes in Conklin's game where he can't be a red zone target, where you can't rely on him to get to a first down, that's when I start to look at people like David Njoku, Cameron Brait. I don't really like the Zach Ertz trade. and I don't think we need that that much. He's not going to be used the way people think he's going to be used if he comes here. Zach Ertz is a high-volume catch guy. He's not going to be a high-volume catch guy in this offense. So... The blocker first is the first thing I would do. I would allow Tyler Conklin to grow into his own as a receiver. We saw the last four games of last season that he was capable of being that five to 10 yard guy. He might not be the route runner and the deep threat that Irv Smith is, but he was able to create more separation that Kyle Rudolph was able to do. And for Kirk Cousins, he trusted him. And throwing him the ball, I think he had 25 targets in like four or five games. So. I think you let him try at least before you make any big moves. You get that extra blocker just so you can continue to run your offense and you see what you have. Okay. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with the thought process. I think the Vikings do need to be a little bit more aggressive um, 
in trying to acquire a guy if Irv Smith happens to be out for the season. I, I think it's a layered conversation, Deshaun, because I think in a vacuum, you're right. You just kind of roll with your guys. But we're not in a normal-esque season for the Minnesota Vikings. We're in a season where if they don't perform, Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer could both easily be gone. And we, uh, we've heard the Wills talk about how they want continuity. They want the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, at the same time, they have gotten a very long leash, and they have not gotten a lot of great results. They have two playoff wins. They have uh, three playoff appearances since 2014. Like We're not talking about a stellar resume here. And it, it's very difficult if your ownership to say, hey, why should you keep your job? Well, hey, that we had this injury and this injury and this injury. Well, you had 25 draft picks in the last two years. Where's your depth? And the answer is, quite frankly, their depth really isn't near what it should be considering the amount of resources they have put into guys that will be depth players. And I think that's uh, an avenue that we haven't really talked about a lot yet. I think Tyler Conklin being able to step up into that tight end two role is a – is something that's really good as far as building your depth is a fifth round pick. Um, I know Joe in the chat uh, mentioned David Morgan, you know, it would be nice to have a David Morgan right now. Wouldn't it? A guy who, yeah, really who can run like, like your, your five to eight yard routes. And he's going to be a dominant blocker from the tight end position. I think those things are all uh, really good. Yeah. Dave, you're right. That, Morgan has been out of the league, but I'm just talking like the concept here, uh, the concept of, Hey, it'd be great to have this kind of guy, this regime. And I, we talked about it last week on in the huddle, this regime needs to win. If they don't win, they were probably going to lose their jobs. Uh, it's Zimmer first and then possibly Spielman. The tough part is with probably cousins gone after the year, you don't want to replace your starting quarterback, your GM and your head coach all at once. Because you're probably going to hit on one of the three, maybe two if you're lucky. Asking to hit on all three it is a mistake. Uh, and they have to really try and go all out, kind of like they did in 2016. I don't know if you necessarily need to make a panic move and get Zach Ertz. Because, Jashan, you make a good point. He is a high-volume catch guy. I don't know how he would transition here. But based on his skill set, you have him kind of like a, as a big slot uh, and kind of like how uh, Kansas City uses Travis Kelsey. Uh, I don't think they're the same player, but you utilize them similar. You line them up in line. You can do a little H back. You can add, use them as a big slot, give them a mismasters. And I think Kirk would really like that type of player because Irv Smith can be that guy, but he hasn't been used that way yet. Kyle Rudolph was not that type of player. And I don't think that there was a rapport between the two in order to really justify any kind of relationship moving forward. Now, if you bring in a guy like Zach Ertz, how quick could they build the chemistry? Uh, would he be a big enough part of the offense to warrant probably having to spend a day two pick? You're talking a second or a third round pick for Zach Ertz, who's on the last year of his deal, who's 30, about to turn 31, and he declined a little bit last year. And there's a reason why Dallas Goddard is going to be the number one guy at the tight end position. So I think a guy like Njoku would make some sense. Uh, Cameron Brait or OJ Howard uh, from... Uh, Tampa Bay, um, you could maybe try and get David Fells uh, from the Texans. They'd probably uh, take a bucket of fried chicken for him or like a <laughs> nice Virginia ham, just something, something. And that the Texans are just a, they, they need to contract them like they were going to contract the 2001 Expos and Twins and just start over with the Oilers. Like that's how bad that uh, team has been run. So I, I think there's a lot of different routes. You could also talk about 
free agent cuts. And I think there's going to be somebody there. Um, we've already seen a few good players get cut that were a little bit of a surprise. And I think that would make it interesting as far as moving forward. But I think we're in a group, like maybe we're in a little bit of a disagreement. I think you really want to roll with these guys. I think if it's a short-term thing, we roll 100%. If it's a long-term thing, I think the Vikings, where they are at, have to go get somebody. Yeah, but my, I think Mike Zimmer, uh, he said it very reluctantly in his press conference that we might have to roll out a more, little more three-wide, a little more spread. And I mm-hmm. think it could finally work. And I think because of because we have improved pass blocking, maybe there's a chance we can become that drop back team. Now it wouldn't be consistently because I don't think Mike Zimmer couldn't he couldn't watch that all game without. He would have an clean. aneurysm, man, an aneurysm. <laughs> right. So I think so. When it when it comes to the wide receivers and what we saw in preseason, I think because they were they were horrible. Like there's really like I mean KJ the last game KJ made some good catches. I think ISM made some solid catches. But what we saw in preseason isn't really what they're going to be asked to do in the regular season. The essence mm-hmm. of what makes the Minnesota Vikings offense good is that you need all 11 guys to stop feeling Jefferson and Cook. You need 8 men in a in the box to stop Cook, you need two on Jefferson or Thielen, or one of them are going to eat you up all game. So when you get into that spread look, when you have guys like KJ Osborne and ISM, they're going against cornerback fours and fives. They're not going against mm-hmm. good players. So when they were going out there during the preseason, they were starting games as the wide receiver one or the wide receiver two, and they weren't doing too well. They're not doing that anymore. They're now maybe the fourth or fifth option on the offense. They're not really being paid attention to. And then you have someone like D.D. Westbrook, who's now on track to play week one, who can beat those fourth and fifth guys probably in sleep. So this the spread offense, now that we will probably play at least a tad bit more of it now that Earth Smith is out, we'll probably play a tad bit more the first couple of weeks if we don't if we do if even if we do make a move as the guys are getting acclimated we'll play a little bit more spread i think it has a chance to be more successful in years past especially if the pass blocking can keep up so uh here's the counter to that because i think a lot of what you said makes sense uh you utilize a little bit more passing elements and the defense does really have to key on three specific guys but one thing i worry about is flying gets hurt Alexander Madison's probably about 80% of Dalvin Cook. He's a very capable guy. He can be a starting running back in this league. He's just not incredibly dynamic like Dalvin Cook is. If Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen goes down for any extended period of time, you're counting on D.D. Westbrook coming off an ACL tear. And Westbrook was an okay, too, for a little bit for the Jaguars. He's nowhere near uh, capable of what the other two guys are. And I think... One thing I posted on Twitter about today was if the Vikings end up using a lot more 11 personnel, I really am curious how much from the Sean McVay uh, zone offense they're going to use. Are they going to do more inside stuff when they go wide? Are they going to be utilizing multiple tight end sets? But the one thing that really makes that McVay offense cook is how incredibly good their blocking is from their wide receivers. Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are like two of the top 10 blockers per PFF in rush blocking and they're just fantastic at it. Robert Woods is probably the best one in the league. Van Jefferson, who's projected to be their wide receiver three is no slouch at it either. So I think that's one element that can't be overlooked and overstated when you talk about how this offense might transition out of that 12 personnel base. 
And I wonder if uh, Thielen Jefferson and D.D. Westbrook are going to be able to hold up good enough as blockers to really make that style of inside and wide zone thrive. And that would be my biggest question mark, not necessarily in the passing game, but how good are they going to be in run blocking? Yeah, I don't see. I don't think I see Jefferson hold it up, man. That guy is still wiry out there. <laughs> Someone's well, going to run through Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, I'll say this: Devonta Smith coming out of Alabama was a surprisingly good blocker, and he's more wiry than Justin Jefferson. So it, I'm not saying that it's it's he's incapable. Uh, one of the keys about blocking is utilizing your leverage, and I think Justin Jefferson's size. He, if he's able to bend down and dip that butt enough, it, he's going to be able to utilize that explosion from his legs, and he's going to be able to that really utilize his leverage in order to take out cornerbacks and maybe even linebackers. Uh, I I don't know if he can do it consistently, and like yourself, I would be a little worried about him too, but I don't think it's a 0% chance either. Yeah. yeah. That would be nice to be able to run out of both. <laughs> <laughs> but Absolutely. I think uh, I tweeted earlier that the run defense that the Vikings are facing early on are very favorable. So I know mm-hmm. the Bengals just went out and got BJ Hill. He's actually a pretty solid. He's a big guy, solid run blocker. He can actually move a little bit. So now they have mm-hmm. DJ reader and they have BJ Hill. Uh, the pass rushing from those two probably won't be super great, but they're, they're like Michael Pearson, Dalvin Thompson, basically just like a lesser version. So they actually have a pretty, and they have Trey Hendrickson, I think, uh, Chubba Hubbard. So they actually have a solid Sam Hubbard. run. Sam, yeah, yeah, Sam Hubbard. So, and then they actually have a, a um, solid run defense, but their linebackers are kind of lacking. And then when you don't have that pass rush, the, the Kirk Cousins will probably eat you up. And then we have the Cardinals who were towards the bottom of the league in run defense. But I do worry that maybe the, the guy they drafted, quick guy, I can't remember what his name was, Zayvon Collins, might yep. be able to help a little bit there. But also the D-line just isn't really built for run blocking, I don't believe. And then we have the Seahawks who are, they've always been a solid run blocking team, but they're getting kind of old. Dunlap is like 32. I think Wagner's turning, turning 32. Both their ends are not great in run blocking. And then we they have They got Puna the, Ford on the inside, though. I love they do have four and four. I can see us really doing a lot of zone and going towards these tackles, especially the way Ali and Brian O'Neill have been doing well together. I can see us attacking these edges a lot. Also, with that new rule with the pitch, now that you can't go low on offensive linemen with the pitch, I can really see us doing a lot of that pitch work now. Especially because our two guards can move like very well. I mean, Cleveland, Cleveland's out here mirroring linebackers, and Ali Udo is like a freight train coming down the field. So mm-hmm. I really see guys uh, executing that pitch a lot, and then we get to the Cleveland Browns, who are like, I don't know, I just that's a that, <laughs> that's going to be a game. That's going to be a game right there. <laughs> that defensive line is so stacked in Cleveland. They just got um, Marvin Wilson and Curtis Weaver, both of whom would have probably made the Minnesota Vikings roster. That defensive line is loaded. We're finally going to see Malik McDowell, second-round pick of the Seahawks, and I believe 2017, finally play a football game because he is back and he's mentally ready to, and physically ready to go. So it's going to be a really interesting first few games, but we should uh, continue to move on because we have a big contract to talk about. I just want to uh, give a shout-out to everyone in the comments. We have the legend Flip Mozzie in the comments. Uh, we have some Njoku talk. We have some Wise Goodell ruining uh, his talent in the meaningless preseason. 
Well, they do need tune-up games. And yes, as uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, our good producer Dave said, tradition and money. Both of those are a thing. And speaking of tradition, the Vikings finally extended somebody before the beginning of the regular season, and it comes with uh, Harrison Smith. Now, uh, Hitman, when that contract first dropped, I was very frustrated. I thought it was a overpay. I thought it was more of a compensation contract for how little he was making compared to the market over the last few years. But then when you get down to the nuts and bolts, which is always the most important thing, it's incredibly player and team friendly. He's going to get $22 million over the first eight months of his contract, which is the most ever for a safety. And it's a four years, $64 million. But after 2022, it's $5 million to get out of it, $3 million after that, $1 million after that, and dead cap. That is a big, big win for Minnesota as they try to, one, uh, mitigate the diminishing returns on a player that's already in his age 32, turning age 33 season. Two, if this team ends up tanking and they fire everybody and they go full rebuild, his contract is semi-favorable to get out of, which is always going to be a positive when you're entering those kind of situations. And three, it still provides flexibility if you need to uh, give him a little bit more signing bonus and turn salary into that to create some cap space. You can do that as well. Now, Deshaun, initial thoughts for me were a little frustrating, but I understand it a little more now. Uh, at Dave, that's a good point with the karma. Um, when you first saw this contract... What were your thoughts, and then how have they evolved since the details came out? I'm always in favor of p- paying your good players, and you know, I got I got trust in Rob B, man. Rob B never lets us down. So what? So when I first initially saw the contract, I did think it was a lot. Um, I did. I was like, Harrison's 32. I mean, I do think his game will translate to just kind of being that deep safety. He might not be able to come up to the line of scrimmage as much anymore and still be super effective, but I do think he'll translate well to that deep safety. I think he can play until he's probably like 35, 36. Then then, like you said, I saw the details of the contract and saw that we can really get out of it after next season. So if he starts to decline, like you said, five mil to get out, you save like 11 million in cap space. So it's a, it's a, Super friendly deal. It's a win-win for both sides, which is something that you don't see too often, mm-hmm. especially where older players, where older players, you either see like you sign this guy for too long, you're not going to get the returns or uh, you kind of cheated this guy out of his money or whatever. But this was one of those rare deals where both sides win. You get your leader of the defense. You get a guy that's probably still has two or three good seasons in him and you get a chance to get out of it. Like you said, if, there comes a time where we need to blow it all up and rebuild. We can go our separate ways. Yeah, hundred percent. And I was very excited when I saw the details and how that broke down just because it provides ultimate flexibility, which is why Rob Brzezinski is the all time goat when it comes to contract negotiation. Now, now that we have all that settled with uh, Harrison Smith, we can kind of move on uh, to Brian O'Neill. And Brian O'Neill is the other one that does not have a contract extension. And it feels like every day that goes by, his price tag goes up. We've already seen two really good left tackles, three of them in the National Football League, get extensions over the past six to eight months. Ryan Ramchak set the market at $19.5 million a year for a right tackle. But one thing you know about Ryan Ramchak, he was getting all pro votes as a rookie in 2017. He's an anomaly. He is not the standard. And 
You got Taylor Moten, get 18 million a year. Braden Smith gets 17 and a half. Both of those guys, I would say, are on the same tier as Brian O'Neill. I think you can go semantics and you could say, hey, these two are better than O'Neill, or O'Neill's better than both of them. And I think you can make arguments either way. Uh, and that's why I think O'Neill being on the same tier makes a lot of sense as far as comparing the contracts. Now, the Vikings may have priced themselves out of a deal by waiting this long because it probably was going to be more like $16 million before both of these guys got signed, but they ended up waiting, and it may backfire. It may not. We don't know at this point. Deshaun, as you kind of look at the future for a Brian O'Neill contract, what is what are your thoughts? How do you think the Vikings are going to end up approaching it, and do we ultimately get the deal done? I think they do. I think, especially if this offensive, if they don't get it done early this season and this offensive line starts to gel and they actually start to do well, I think there's zero chance that Brian O'Neill is not a Viking next season. I, they they don't use the franchise tag much. I think they would franchise tag Brian O'Neill. So, and what I was kind of thinking. I was just going to say with that franchise tag, one thing that we need to be aware of, offensive tackle and interior offensive line are both classified as offensive line. So that that price tag is going to be just a tad different than it would be if it was just tackles and interior guys. So it's just something to monitor as far as a possible franchise tag. And I was also wondering... Brian, the bulk of Brian O'Neill's contract extension is going to extend into post-Kirk Cousins' Minnesota Vikings. So if they do end up waiting and they can just kind of get him on a backloaded deal, would we really feel the effects that much to where we can pay him 18, 19? Because the rest of the offensive line... Uh, Cleveland's on a rookie deal for, uh, I think, the next three years. Uh, Darisov, mm-hmm. rookie. Bradbury would need a new contract, but Bradbury really isn't good enough to, you know, demand a new contract. So we would even get him on a super team-friendly contract or we would just replace him. And I think Udo mm-hmm. would probably need a new deal the year after, but he hasn't started that long, so his contract wouldn't be super bad either. So if the Vikings do end up waiting and we just get Brian O'Neill on that one year with Kirk Cousins, it could become super manageable with the cap inflation, no more Kirk Cousins. It might not be as bad of an impact as we think. I agree. And one thing to really keep in mind as you talk about a backloaded deal, I don't think they necessarily have to do a backloaded deal, but they absolutely can because right now, you're sitting at about $15 million in cap space after the Harrison Smith contract. Being that you're at $15 million in cap space, you can give O'Neill more money now and not have to worry about it long term because that money's going to roll over anyways. So you're going to be using the cap space either now or later. So it, it really depends on how Rob Brzezinski and the team wants to structure it. You can do it backloaded. You can do it frontloaded. Either way, I think the, the, the Vikings will be smart. They don't give more than $15 million in bonus money to anybody. The only time that they, the only two times they've done big money is Diggs got 15 and Kirk got 30. Now the reason that <laughs> Kirk, got, the reason that Kirk got 30 with that contract extension is so they could really spread it out and lower the cap hit for 2020. And I, I think that needs to be taken into consideration because that was more of a cost cutting measure than anything. Um, Freddie, it, you're thinking James Wiggins, not Jermaine Wiggins, the former Vikings tight end. James Wiggins, seventh round draft pick from the University of Cincinnati, is a free agent. I was a big fan of his coming out. 
it would be very interesting to see him come here. We'll see how that goes because he is on waivers currently. Now, Brian O'Neill, I really hope that they figure out a way to get it done. Uh, he is, uh, of all the offensive line resources you have utilized in the past four or five years, you can really only count him and Riley Reef as true hits at this point. The, the, uh, when you talk about uh, – I'm trying to think of the phrasing. Um, that The jury's still out on Ezra Cleveland, but he's trending to be a, a really good hit in the second round. The jury's still out on Christian Derrissaw. We haven't seen him play yet. The jury's still out on Wyatt Davis. Uh, because he's only had a few snaps in the preseason, but he has looked good in them. I'll give him that. Garrett Bradbury, the jury's still out, and it's not looking good for him. He really needs to step up that pass blocking to show he can be a capable center. And when you take a guy in round one at that position, you're expected to come in and be good right away. The Packers yeah, picked Elton Jenkins. Look at him. Center, guard, they're talking about maybe left and right tackle. Eric McCoy down in New Orleans. Great, Freddie. That'd be awesome to get Jermaine Williams back here. Get get a little get a little shimmy in the end zone. I'm excited. Uh, and then uh, the Saints then doubled down and they drafted Cesar Ruiz, who had a really good rookie season for them. Like when you draft a position like that, you really need him to hit. And the fact that Bradbury hasn't is a really frustrating part. But being that he's your biggest hit as far as an offensive lineman goes in the Rick Spielman era, it would be a mistake not to sign him. But they could also hold out. They could also wait and do a franchise tag. So I would not hit the panic button right now if they don't get him before the season starts because there's still a lot that they can do. But I also wouldn't expect one during the season because that's really not how the Vikings have operated over the course of time. That contract probably wouldn't come until January or February. Or if it doesn't happen, you're probably looking franchise tag. Yeah, and Dave just put in the comments that uh, 16.82, which would be super manageable if that's something they did decide to do. Absolutely. And if you give them the franchise tag, hey, 16.82. But if you sign this long-term deal, we'll give you 17, 17 and a half, 18. And you can go higher from there. And I think that's going to be a big deal for Brian O'Neill. Now, as we continue to move forward into this regular season for the Minnesota Vikings, we had our final preseason game with the Kansas City Chiefs, and there were some tough parts, and there were some really bright spots. And one that I really wanted to focus on uh, that we talked about pre-show was Kellen Mond. Now, uh, if you watched our uh, three days of draft coverage where Dave and I were the Iron Men and we did all 18 hours, I was not a fan of the Kellen Mond pick. I did not like it. I thought he was not good at Texas A&M. He struggled a big time, and he played a lot. We're talking about a four-year starter with 47 career games, 44 of them starts, and it felt like he really didn't improve nearly what you would want to see in a guy who played that kind of that 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 many games in the SEC, which is basically NFL junior at this point. And I will say I was impressed with him throughout the course of the preseason. His mechanics have loosened up. I said that he needed to have like an eight-hour massage eight hours in the hot tub, and then an eight, eight hours in the sauna, and then maybe add some oil to his joints like he's the team man from Wizard of Oz. And then you can really start to see him really progress. He looks more loose. His footwork is more fluid. He, he's, he's not as tense in his upper body. His shoulders aren't always like this. They're dropping a little bit. Sometimes they go back here, but it's hard to break old habits. Like we remember when Tim Tebow was trying to change his throwing motion, 
uh, before the 2010 draft. Like there was, they were making such a big deal of it because when you're a quarterback, you're like in the course of a year, you'll throw like 10,000 footballs. And when you throw 10,000 footballs, it becomes incredibly hard to change things about your mechanics because it's muscle memory, it's repetition. And Kalamon is kind of experiencing that right now, but we're seeing progress. And I think Andrew Ginoco has done a really good job of getting him more loose, more comfortable. And you can see progression from game one to game three. I don't think he was great against the Kansas City Chiefs. He bailed the pocket too much. He didn't make great, uh, great decisions every single time. That throw and the interception to Zach Davidson was really bad. It was a not a good throw. Davidson had some fault in there, but that was a bad throw by Mond to an open receiver in a relatively clean pocket. You have to make those throws. But he did show a lot. He showed that he was able to make full field progressions. He was able to make crisp, clean throws from the pocket, good decisions, throws that uh, you would expect your starting quarterback in the National Football League to make, and he offered some running ability. I think his progression over the first three games is incredibly promising. I still don't want him even touching the field unless it's a disaster season in 2021. Give him the time he needs to develop, and I think you could have something here. Um, Freddie, I appreciate the love. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun, and I'm excited to do it again. Deshaun, what have you seen from Kellamon? I know we have had our differences in, in our conversations about the first year quarterback from Texas A&M. Uh, are you seeing kind of the same things I am, that you're seeing some really nice progression from game to game? I am. Uh, I think each game you saw him do a little bit more. The fourth quarter of that Chiefs game, which I actually had to go back and rewatch, you saw him do that drive at the end that looks really nice. So my only my only thing is the Kalamon that we see on the field with the players that are there would probably be completely different than what we would see Kalamon with the starters. I and this might be a bad idea. I think Mon should be QB two. I think I think you leave him in there at QB two because he offers he offers abilities that are hard to defend. Now, of course, he can't make Kirk Cousins throws. He can't make those. I mean, I don't. We haven't seen him do it, but I don't think he's making Kirk Cousins throws consistently. But you can supplant that with option plays with Dalvin Cook. You know how like how crazy option plays with Dalvin Cook? That's insane. You give him better pass blocking than what they were able to because pass blocking kind of broke down a little bit. We had that one first game where Blake Brandle was pretty okay and the pass blocking held up through the entire game but against the Colts and against the Chiefs you saw guys start to break down a little bit and start to give up pressures kind of forcing him on out of the pocket if you can offer him a stable environment now not saying that he could survive several games if Kirk Cousins goes down with a long-term injury I think the season is done but if Cousins was to get like COVID or something. Maybe he steps out of his plexiglass for too long and you need to let Mon play a game. I think you can survive. I think he can do enough. It's going to be rough. Definitely going to be rough. The defense is going to have to do a little bit extra, but I think Kellen Mon gets you by for a game or two. I'm not with you. I'm not with you. And if you saw uh, our uh, show in the huddle last uh, Tuesday, I vehemently fought against having Kellen Mond as QB2. From the main perspective, and we talked about it earlier in the show, the Vikings need to win. They need to win now. 
they can't wait till next year. They can't be like, hey, Kirk Cousins got hurt. We were screwed. And then the Wilson would be like, well, why? What, where was your plan at backup quarterback? Vikings really haven't had a plan at backup quarterback. They got lucky signing Case Keenum, and he pulled that year out of his ass like he did. Like He's, he's a true definition of a gunslinger. He's just going to leave everything out on the field and do everything in his power to win. And you know what? We, we got struck magic in a bottle, and we really did. But at the same time, you can't go in to this season with just Kellen Mond or Jake Browning as your QB2 because of where the Vikings are sitting, where the front office is, where the coaching staff is, they will lose their jobs if they don't have a plan. I, I would love to see a Kellen Mond get some run that if the season is completely lost, if, uh, if Kirk Cousins tears his ACL. But if you're asking for like two games, Chase Daniel, Nick Foles, get one of those kind of guys because they can hold the fort down for two games do enough on offense, make smart decisions. They're not going to go out there and win games by themselves. That's not what you're asking. Within the context of your offense, with your great defense, let them do enough. Just like Chase Daniel did a couple years ago and Trubisky was out at Soldier Field. Chase Daniel didn't win that game, but he did just enough. He did just oh, enough. He made a frustrating it. game. It was. But, uh, he, you, but you had to remind me. That was ugly. <laughs> But it was. But he made just enough plays. The defense made enough plays as well. And they ended up winning that football game. I think when you combine everything, a Chase Daniel or Nick Foles can do enough for you in a two-game stretch to take you over the top. Whereas Kellen Mond is a massive wild card right now. And when you're in the position of Zimmer and Spielman, you can't take that risk because that could cost you your job. Yeah. I mean, I... Who is Chase Daniel playing for anybody right now? He is a member of the Chargers, and with the emergence of Easton Stick, I would not be surprised if Daniel gets cut. He would probably cost about a million, million and a half to bring in as a backup, and you could do it after week one and not give him a guaranteed contract. So we're not talking about paying a guy like $5 million. This isn't uh, March and April when you have to pay that kind of backup that money. If he's a available you probably get him for vet minimum your gap hit might be an extra like four hundred thousand dollars and that's really not a big deal considering you have that kind of insurance policy yeah and i saw Foles is with the bears right yep they have given him permission to seek a trade and i wouldn't be shocked if if they can't find a trade if he just gets cut on yeah okay i can see it so Foles, i I don't know if I'm sold on the Foles thing. Chase Daniels, maybe. I think Chase Daniels is a little bit more mobile where he can do more. I still think I, I still think you still go to that game plan where it's just don't lose us the game. Like, we don't need you to go mm-hmm. win the game. We need you to not lose us the game. And I think you still go to that with Foles and Daniels. And I do agree that if you're trying your hardest to just not lose – your best bet mm-hmm. probably is Foles and Daniels because those guys are vets. They go, they know how to not make mistakes. As with Kalamon, you're he's a rookie. You're going to get those mistakes regardless. Mm-hmm. But and, uh, I, I still think. I wanna... I, go ahead. Go ahead. I still just think that extra what Kalamon can do, that extra umph, can add an element to the offense. To where maybe you don't always need to make have him make those complex throws. You can simplify the offense. 
You can do simple things. You got Jefferson and Thielen that makes simple things explosive. And then his, I think his legs, his legs really are the difference. Even though I felt like he didn't use them, he, he used them some, but Kellamon is fast. And he's not, he's not super agile. He's actually kind of stiff when he runs, but he's, he, boy can move and he has some acceleration too. I think if he can learn to use those better in better situations, take off when, when it's more warranted, that it just adds a new dimension to the offense. That's hard to stop. When you think Minnesota Vikings, you don't think QB scrambling for 10 yards. That stuff is not on tape for us. I think that just gives the defense new fits. And now you have to worry about Kellamon. You have to worry about Dalvin Cook, Thielen, Jefferson. So, and then Irv Smith come back. Now you have to worry about Irv. I think that new dimension would be enough to carry us for a game or two. I believe as long as he doesn't go out there and throw those Davidson passes and lose us the football game. I'm just, my big thing is I'm just worried that he's not ready enough. And being that he's not ready enough, you could destroy him. But we've seen it with other guys. They were just put in way before that they needed to. And then all confidence was shattered. And I think you need to be careful because Calamond wasn't a first round guy. He's a project. He's a third round guy. And to address uh, flips uh, in the comments, you're not paying $400,000 for him. You're paying about $400,000 more than what that 53rd guy would be making on the roster. So it wouldn't, you would only be adding that much extra to the cap. And I think being what you're going to ask these guys to do, I think that uh, Chase Daniel can play smart enough football to win you a game or two. And I worry about that with Kellen Mond, and that's my biggest argument. You're just asking them to not lose you the game, as you said, Deshaun. You're asking them to just do enough Make one or two throws, uh, make a change at the line of scrimmage. That, you know, simple stuff that veterans are really good at knowing how to do, especially a guy like Chase Daniel, who has backed up some of the greats in the National Football League. And there's a reason why he's made $46 million as a backup quarterback, because he's a stalwart veteran. He's incredibly knowledgeable, great with the clipboard, and he can come in and win you a game when you need it. Yeah, I agree. I definitely, uh, Kellamon definitely gives you that added risk of more mistakes for sure. And I think that's the big thing when we have the conversation about these guys needing to save their jobs, but we are running out of time and we need to get to our player of the week, uh, for this last week. And Deshaun, I will let you go first. Who is your player of the week for the Minnesota Vikings? Player of the week is the big man back in town, Everson Griffin. Coming in and settling his scores, he apologized to Zim. He was seen on the on the sideline talking to Kirk Cousins, you know, just cutting it up. And then he comes in on like his first third down and he gets a sack. Now, I think the best part of it all, the the sack, the pressures, it was all great. He caused DJ Wandham's sack, so it really probably should have been two sacks because if Griff is not there, mm-hmm. Wandham doesn't get that sack. He's still jumping off sides like old Everson Griffin, man. He has, <laughs> he has not changed. He's the same guy. He's coming off sides. He's costing us five yards, and then he's cleaning it up with a sack. I love it. He's back. I was, now, one thing that's interesting, Wanham and Weatherly, I know Wanham had the sack, but Wanham and Weatherly both did not do great, neither in pass rush or run defense. Griff might play more than what we originally suspected. Now, I know they want to keep him a third-down guy, but if those guys can't show up, man, Griff looked good coming off the line. You know, you don't want to gas him out. He's 33, almost 34, so Mm -hmm. 
he might play more. We'll see. But it was it was a nice welcome back. I mean, I wasn't expecting that for the little snaps he played in the first game back. It was just, it was a feel good moment, honestly, to just see see his, his sack dance and see him jump off sides. All that all that stuff makes your heart smile. No, I agree 100%, and I think Everson Griffin's going to get a little bit more run than just being a third-round guy. I think they're going to end up doing like what the Eagles did back in 2017, getting a real rotation going with some of these guys, especially now that you're three deep on the defense, interior defensive line. And Armand Watts, uh, he was my player of the week last week. He has stepped up, and he has really taken that next step as a rotational piece. I really like what they can do utilizing them as one, two, and three techniques here moving forward. My player of the week is going to be the guy we spent most of the first segment of the show talking about, and that's Irv Smith Jr. Irv Smith Jr. looks poised for a big year. Tight ends take a hot minute. They really do. There's a reason why like TJ Hawkinson had a good year last year, and he's poised to have a breakout year this year. No offense the same way. Travis Kelsey didn't really have that until year three. George Kittle, uh, year two was more of his breakup, but year three, he was great. Like, tight end is just a tough position because not only are you having to uh, learn the route tree and be able to break away against even better competition, dealing with linebackers who can run a 4 5, five four, six, dealing with safeties who can run the same, even corners when you're split out wide. And then you also have to deal with blocking big boys on the interior who have grown men's strength. A lot of those guys that you necessarily didn't see at the college level, even a guy like George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, playing in the Big Ten. You see a lot of those guys, but you don't see them consistently every week. You see a Kenny Willekes, who was a seventh-round pick and probably isn't going to make the roster. Like That's your high-end defensive end uh, in the Big Ten. So you're seeing a lot better players now. You're seeing, like just in this preseason, Quiddy Pay, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, Frank Clark, and then the interior guys, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, you're going to have to face some of these guys. And Irv Smith Jr. has done a really good job of learning that, and now he's really starting to excel, at least as a projection, as a tight end. And I really hope that it's only a couple-week injury because he can really have a special season this year. We'll hope for the best. At the very at the end of the day, I just hope the man is healthy and he's happy with whatever decision he makes because, honestly, that's the most important part. Yeah, I I love Earl Smith, and I think he has all the potential of the world. The only part that gets me is that he has to rely on Clint Kubiak and Kirk Cousins to get this man the ball. The last I mm-hmm. felt like because it felt like Earl Smith should have broke out last year. It felt like that he was like ready. I know Kyle Rudolph, the Vesta vet, was there, and it felt like Irv should have gotten more than what he did like you saw him make plays against last year he made two really good plays against the Seahawks and then his rookie season he's making really good plays down the field like Travis Kelsey Darren Waller kind of plays down the field and they just don't give it to him consistently I think if Clint and, and what if he comes back this season if Clint and Kirk can make it him a priority a focal point of the offense I think he'll have no issue breaking out but mm-hmm. unfortunately, his target, his career target depth is like five or six yards or something insane like that. So if they can allow him to blossom into B, breakout season is going to be for sure. But unfortunately, that's still 
you know, counts on Kirk Cousins throwing him the ball when he's open. And Kurt, and Clint Kubiak really just being creative with his tight end. So we'll see where that takes us. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, the, you said the man is happy, the man is okay with this decision, and that uh, Clint can call a play. Because, man, that red zone trip in the first drive of the game Ooh. drove me mad. Oh, my God. We moved down the field so <laughs> well. And we get to the red zone. I'm like, Clint, what are you doing? Like, it was awful. Ah, man, that that was terrible. 100%. And with that, Dave, before I take us home, uh, do you have anything that you want to say here to the good people in the comments section who have been rambunctious, who have been fun and spitting fire all night? I do, I do, I do. Tomorrow is in the huddle. Join us as we talk the big news of the day, which will be the cut down to the final 53-man roster. Yes, absolutely. And that is going to be really interesting to see kind of some of those granular cuts. Does Stephen Weatherly get cut? Does Zach Davidson keep a spot on the roster considering the tight end injuries? This is all going to be really fun to watch parse out and see how the waiver wire is affected for the next 24 hours. And with that, thank you, everybody, for joining us here this evening. Don't forget, next Monday, Labor Day Monday, tune in. Friend of the show, friend of the network, Skull North, Score North, And Purple Daily's Phil Mackey will be on to talk Minnesota Vikings season preview with myself, Dave, and Deshaun. And with that, from all of us here climbing the pocket, have yourselves a good night. And remember, we turn your Mondays purple. Skull, everybody! (laughs) Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pocket.